Nobody makes it easier to stay on top of all of your health concerns than Meridian Medical Services. Hey, it's JMV. Call them today, 317-925-0811, and schedule your heart screening. I know my situation. You should, too. Make the call. It is affordable. It is easy, and you will know. 317-925-0811. Nobody's more affordable. Nobody's easier than Meridian Medical Services. Call them today, 317-925-0811. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, closing conversations from the Pacers earlier today. And with that and more, covering the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star is Dustin DePurak. You know, I thought one thing that Miles said in his closing presser was how much better he expected them to be defensively. And I want to ask you this. My assessment of this team is you got to be a hell of a lot better defensively, especially on the perimeter to do that. And I think a lot of these core guys that are still going to be here are the ones that have to improve. But I'm going to ask you this. How much will they try to address that in what is going to be an incredibly important offseason for the Pacers moving forward? A lot. I mean, that was really the biggest theme from today. And and I think uh, when Rick Carlisle, like he addressed it in kind of his opener today, and and he's been saying it, I think, in in a lot of the – because a lot of the questions we've been asking is they've been, uh, you know – I don't say limping towards the end. That's probably unfair, but ultimately, once we figured out, okay, they're not going to be a playoff team, uh, and started to think about next year. I mean, he's been pretty forthright in saying this team's got to get a lot better defensively, and the numbers uh, really stand out as to how bad they were. I mean, I think they finished 29th out of 30 teams in points allowed, almost 120 a game. Um, and God, I don't remember the last time was that that they that you could really say they really guarded somebody uh, for the entirety of a basketball game. Um, so they they had to get a lot better, and and as you said, I think the core guys have to get better one thing that i asked um you know rick Harwell today is, is how important is it for you know you know tyrese halbert and benedict matherin are going to be key pieces going forward neither one of them are guys that you could call really good at least uh really good defenders right now how important is it they get better he said very it's, it's really important for both of them and, and for different reasons i mean halliburton's a very good off-ball defender in the sense that he's very opportunistic i mean he's looking to get the ball and, you know, read passing lanes and, and take the ball. But he admitted, you know, I asked him today, well, how do you think I get better? He's like, you know, I'm, I'm losing at the point of attack. Guys are overpowering me. Uh, and it's because I've got to get better in the weight room. He, he even went so far as to say, you know, I'm going to go days without putting a ball in my hand. Uh, and I'm not going to miss days in the weight room. And that's not normal for me. I mean, you look at Tyrese and he's not the most chiseled of humans. He's just a really slick basketball player. He's never been a very strong guy. Um, but he's recognized that, hey, that, that, that has to change. He's got to be able to man up and guard some people uh, this season season if, if, if he's, he's going to be playing all the time he's the you know centerpiece of the franchise he's got to be out there and guard people Benedict Matherin obviously has uh, a lot of the physical capability but you saw a lot of sort of rookie mistakes this year in terms of him being lost off the ball getting trapped on screens and that stuff you know those guys are going to have to play you know 25 30 minutes every single night uh, you know maybe well really when Tyree's closer to 36 I and mean, basically that that's kind of where it's got to be for them they got to be played in that 32 to 40 minute range uh, and that means they got to be able to guard um, so I mean they've obviously got a couple guys out there that have been throwing out there in, in Memhart and Eastmore that are pretty good defensive players uh, but they are not great offensive players and they have to play longer because they're the only guys that anybody can trust to defend anybody so uh, it needs to come from you know some of the guys that are going to be out there all the time are going to have to get to guard some people they're going to have to add you know obviously pieces to make their defense better certainly I think that's what they'll target uh, in the draft um, and if they make any trades or go after any free agents so that'll 
that will be a premium, but the guys that are expected to score also are going to have to be expected to guard people this time. Dustin DePierre covers the Pacers for the star. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. TJ McConnell talked about the pace in which offensively they play. I don't think there's any problem there. I mean, no. they look like they have fun playing offense. If you're somebody else on the outside looking in, this looks a hell of a lot more fun. I just mentioned a little bit earlier, when they put up 135, that sounds great offensively, but when you gag up 141, that's not so good. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and obviously, they're, they're looking at it and saying, okay, we established an offensive pace. Right. Uh, we, we've made it so that you can, like, you're, you notice, you know, the way they say it is that you notice when you play us because we're going to make you run. We're going to make you, you know, uh, you're going to have to game plan for us. You're going to have to game plan for the pace and the tempo. And you're going to come out of it feeling like you're tired. You know, you're going to feel like feel like you're worn out because we made you run. We, we played at that fast pace. But like you said, I mean, you, you can't keep taking the ball out of the net. It makes, harder, makes it harder for the, uh, you know, transition offense to work i mean you can you know those guys have proved they can run it right back at you after they take the ball to that you know they're not going to waste a lot of time even after you score uh to get throw the ball right back at you and try to score right back right back on top of you um but it's only so effective uh you you got to be able to get stops you got to be able to get defensive rebounds uh and if you, if you really want to get going off the break or if you you know cause turnovers stuff like that you, you got to be able to get something done defensively in the nba the way it is now i mean you're going to give up 100 i mean it's not like uh the old days where you can win games you know, 69 to 67 on occasion. That's not reality anymore. That's a half. Um, but, you know, like th- there still has to be a little bit more. And, you know, the reason that they won uh, on Sunday, uh, you know, even in a game that was, you know, basically that was tanked from a lineup perspective, uh, the reason they were able to go out and win it, even with the lineup that they threw out there, is they decided to guard in the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, I think held the Knicks, I think, eight. And then the NBA, years. the officials swallowed their whistles a little bit too oh, down the stretch. Did. Yeah, they, they totally did. Yeah, they stopped uh, calling any fouls and moved that thing along. And they were able to swat the ball a little bit, and that helped. But, you know, I mean, at least they were at least playing hard. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah, I had to give them credit for that. And again, most of those should have been fouls, uh, but at least they were trying to stop the ball. Uh, and so there was something there. And, you know, you, you're just not going to win if you can't defend at all. Like, there's, there's, I mean, if, if you can't team, hold teams under 20, on 120, you, you can't expect your team to score 130 every night. You know, you can you can expect 110, 115. Um, so, but like if, if you're giving up 120, you have to presume you're losing most of those games. So yeah, it's it has to get better, and they're aware of that. But it's it's and it's it's going to require personnel changes. It's going to require additions. It's going to require them going out and guys uh, going out and getting players who they're drafting because they can play defense. In terms of draft equity was yesterday a bad day because they won and i don't know what more and you can go into full detail on that because i'm i'm not on board with that i i I find it hard for anybody out there who who you know once you get in an argument about it to try to say that to benedict matherin who doesn't really care about right now anything but going out there and playing hard and winning and scoring and doesn't really care about draft equity but in terms of that that did take a hit i don't know what more they could have done to tank unless they had Isaiah Jackson, you know, putting up left-handed threes or something like that in the fourth quarter. Right, exactly. It was interesting, you know. I know you had Bob on earlier, and he was he was asking today about uh, you know basically everybody's thoughts on what Dallas did uh, to really throw that game away. And and I think you know one of the guys said you know you, like organizations tank and players don't. Like you can't. I think right. and I think Miles said organizations play tank and players don't. I think George Hill said like you can't turn that switch. Like you can't ask these guys that you're putting out there not to play. And really, George blew 
up the tank almost himself. I mean, if you were trying to lose that game, you know, George Hill really messes you up because he goes out and hits five out of six threes uh, in that game. And I think three of three in the second half, even after he busted his shoulder up, um, you know, if, if, if the Pacers, uh, the, you know, this one in the tank, they still had too many guys that don't want to, I mean, like they even took TJ McConnell out during the stretch because TJ was really playing too well. Uh, you know, if, if you were not trying to win games, uh, you know, TJ was really pushing it in, I mean, he was making that second unit really, really effective. And they were, uh, you know, their whole bench was plus a bunch, uh, largely because TJ was pushing it. But they didn't want, um, you know, Rick Carlisle did not want Benedict Mathern to take a day off. I mean, he, he pushed Ben really down that whole stretch. He was playing higher minutes than he had all year because with Halliburton out and, and sort of Nemhart moving over to the one, he wanted Mathern to be guard, guarded by really good players and to guard really good players. Um and he was up there like 36, 38 minutes. I mean, he pulled Matherin for making mistakes. I mean, he was still coaching Ben Matherin to make him a better player uh, throughout this whole two weeks. I mean, there, you know, there were decisions made to not try to win games very hard, but there weren't decisions necessarily made to throw games away. Um, and so that's sort of, I think, how they they went after it of saying, okay, like there's still development to be done when you put these guys out there, especially when they're rookies, like you can't afford to throw a rookie out there and say, well, we'll just, you know, go half speed. It's like, you, you need to make the most of all those minutes that are out there. You know, certainly they wanted Nemhart to get more of a sense of what it's like to run the point uh, for when, you know, whether, whether TJ McConnell moves on at some point and becomes a second team guy or whenever Halliburton misses games, you know, obviously the thing that killed them this year, the reason that they're not in the playoffs is they went out and dropped nine out of 10 once Halliburton got hurt. You know, they were in playoff position uh, at that point. If Nemhard played as well during that stretch, during that stretch as he did toward the end of the season, or obviously if he did in those two games against Portland and Golden State early in December, they're in a different place. Uh, so he's, they're trying to push the, the Nemhard so he can run the offense, so he can be a guy they can trust to win them games at the point if Halliburton has to miss a couple, and they want Matherin to be one of the you know best players in the league. Uh, and so that's what that requires. So they weren't going to pull hard that back the reins too bad. Obviously, it doesn't it doesn't help immediately to win, but it would hurt you worse if you, you know, really put the brakes on these guys and said, don't play basketball. Yeah. Um, that'd be a bigger issue. Yeah, Dustin, what's funny about this, and I really enjoy watching them do this, is they are taking what is already a very hardcore nature on the floor in Benedict Matherin and mm. trying to inspire that even more. I mean, they're really trying to make yeah. into a badass dude. I mean, and you can tell yeah. how they're mm-hmm. doing it because they're just saying, all right, we know that you get pissed when things don't work out, so here's your challenge now. Here's your next challenge mm-hmm. now. It's a step-by-step thing where they're really trying to mold him even more and play off of what is already a very hardcore basketball player structure that he comes here with. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, he's really got that mentality. He believes himself as very high uh, – as, as- very, very high goals, you know, wants to be one of the best players in the league and keep saying, I want to be the best two-way player in the NBA. And it's saying, okay, you know, you have all that confidence. Well, this is what it takes. And it's really throwing him in the fire, knowing that he's not going to get it all right now. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to all, all come to him right now, but it's forcing him in there. It's, it's letting him see, you know, see what can go wrong and how you can fail and what it looks like uh, and, and what the distance is to travel between where he is now and where, uh, what he wants to be, you know, how far 
far of a distance that is. Uh, and again, he's a really, really good basketball player right now, but to truly be one of the greats, there's a lot of things that he's got to do. And, and I mean, he's been a scorer his whole life and he, he was always, you know, has been talking about being a really good defender for a long time. But when you watch him on the floor, there's a long way for him to go. I mean, there's, there's sometimes where he loses court awareness. There's sometimes when he's trying to cheat up and, and, you know, help somebody and try to uh, get a steal or whatever, or attack the guy with the ball. And he leaves, you know, his man open somewhere in the corner and he finds himself having too far of a closeout and giving up an open three or, or, or getting caught on an off ball screen someplace, you know, just sort of not expecting it, not knowing where the, his guy's going to be off that screen and, and getting trapped in there. Um, so there's a lot of things he's got to learn and, and he's being called out again. I mean, like Ben, Ben even pointed out that it was a good thing that, you know, Rick, that he made a mistake. Carlisle took him off the floor yesterday and said, and Ben's like, you know, sometimes you're like, well, it's the last game of the year. I just want to go play. But it says something about my coach that, that he coaches me hard enough that he's going to take me out of this game that doesn't matter uh, and force me to, to sit down and talk to me about the mistake I made. That's somebody who really wants to teach me to make me better. So they abs- there, there's a lot of synergy there. I mean, you know, Ben has, you know, Carlisle always says that, uh, you know, basically the, the day he was drafted, Ben said, hey, I want to be coached hard. I really want to be pushed because I really want to be great. So don't take it easy on me. Um, and they're not. And especially down this stretch, since they really, since really they took Halliburton and Turner out, uh, it basically one of the most important things they try to do is make Ben Matherin as uncomfortable as, as possible to, to learn as many lessons as he could. So Dustin DePurak of the Star covers the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So what uh, coin flips should we be made aware of right here? And Man, the matters Tony of each. Been really, Tony East has been really better at this than me. I know there's a coin flip between San Antonio and Houston for, I think, the 32nd pick. Or I think it's the 32nd pick because I, I for, for whatever reason, I think they only get they, they only got it from the Rockets if it's a top 30-second pick, so they might lose that one if they don't get it. Um, there's going – I mean, I think there will be – I think there, there, are five, there are five picks overall, right, that they're going to end yeah. up getting in the draft. And one – only one is locked five. in right now, right? Yeah, I think one is locked in, and that's their lottery position. Right. Um, I think that, that it's locked in for where it is. Um, I think – I, I, man, <laughs> I can't even remember. I know Tony did a better job with this than me. I know. So obviously they're looking at Boston's and Cleveland's. I think those are both theirs. It's just a question of where it's going to be uh, exactly. And so I don't. I can't remember who's, who Boston's might be even up with. It might be Denver. There might be a coin flip there towards the bottom. Um, you know, and there might be a coin flip with Cleveland in there. But there obviously could be someone in that twenty. 24, 25. Right, we'll, give, we'll give Tony a little bit of love here because yeah, I, I yeah, saw this. Three that. three Pacers coin that. flips. Do they have the mm-hmm. the seventh slot post lotto or eighth tied with Washington split uh, even lottery odds? Do they get 32 or 48 through 50? They want the Spurs to win a coin flip with the Rockets. Heat to lose there, so it's 48. Do they pick 25th or 26th? They want Cleveland drawn over Memphis is what he has had to say regarding that. So that sounds like a lot of blah, 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 blah right there. Yeah, there's a lot there. It's, it's obviously yeah. small things, and obviously the you know, there might not be a coin flip yeah. if, if one of – you know, the Pacers or the Wizards get, uh, you know, moved around in the lottery someplace if one of those uh, gets their ping pong ball to show up. Right. Uh, whether it's in any of those top four picks, you don't have to bother with a coin flip, but you obviously have, have, to, coin, have to have a coin flip once you do the lottery. What, what, um, is your expectation so, for them to, to draft and keep a lottery selection, maybe maneuver around with some other number ones to, to make that position better? 
to try to do something else? How active would you expect him to be leading up to and in this June NBA draft here? I mean, it's certainly, you know, my, my, my thought, it obviously depends on just, again, how the lottery comes through. I mean, to me, you know, my first glance thought is, you know, if you, like, obviously, whoever gets the number one lottery ball is, is taking Victor Wembanyama, and you're not prying, you know, that tick away from them with, you know, you, you got to pry it out of their cold, dead hands. I mean, seriously, there's just no way. If you get that guy, you know, your franchise is different. So, you know, number one's already kind of slotted, and, and basically no one's trading the number one pick. No matter what you already have on your roster, you're not trading Victor. But after that, I mean, I think there's a lot of movable parts, but I don't know. I mean, if you're the Pacers, I think, you know, the, the guy that seems to be a really good fit for me is Jarris Walker out of Houston. He's really good defensively, really good rebounder, guards multiple positions, really athletic, pretty good score, not a spectacular one. Um, but it's, the biggest thing is, is he can guard. It just seems to make you better on that end pretty immediately. So, like, I don't know that you need to trade up to get him. I mean, if, if you end up seventh or eighth, I kind of feel like you're going to be fine. You know, I, I kind of feel like no one's going to take him from you. I, I mean, it, it, like, I, I don't know exactly who would be more primed to take him but i mean i think if if, if you have any concern that you're going to lose him you might want to move up uh but i mean i don't know if there's anybody else I, I don't know that you trade to move up for brandon miller i don't know that you trade to move up uh for cam whitmore or something like that and, and i don't think you know that out of the guards that are going to be up there you know the scoot scoot henderson and you know i know there's some other guys in that in that realm i don't know if there's anybody that you really feel like you have to move up to go get because you've got pretty good guards and pretty good scores but i think uh, a multi you know multi-positional def, def, you know forward type type defender who can rebound fits really well and i think you can still get him i, I think you get that guy at seven or eight i don't know that he fits the other the other team's needs as well as he fits the pacers with, with, with a group that's already pretty well established offensively needing to be you know established defensively so they might not have to make a lot of moves to, to go further up uh in in you know just in the lottery but you know they might if, if they feel like that's what what it takes then they would be willing to move that i think you know kevin Pritchard told us earlier i think it was when he uh when they signed turner that they probably won't use all the picks just because that's too many rookies to bring in on a team right. that's young enough already uh basically it's, it's just well it's, you you probably want your lottery pick on a rookie deal too because you're going to have to mm-hmm. you get halliburton coming up here too where you know you're going to have yep. to max out you're going to have some some money you're going to have to pay right yeah, no, exactly. There's a super. There's there's a max deal coming up for Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, you know for sure. You know it's it's like you you have to. They're going to pay him a lot of money, um, and they'll be happy to pay it. <laughs> they yeah. they will not think twice about that one. That's not like what where Miles Turner was a debate um, about whether they're going to trade him or keep him. Tyrese Halliburton's not a debate. You know whatever it's going to take to keep Halliburton in the in the franchise is what they're going to do. You know so you know they it's how it, you know obviously there, there's limits as to how much you can ask for uh, based on the CBA and whatnot. But whatever that number is, whatever they can pay him is what they're going to pay him. Um, so you know just to have that expectation. Obviously that's going to take more out of the cap. But you know they they were fortunate with Miles uh, to, that that was pretty player friendly for the next two years. Uh, you know what they do with Heald obviously is an interesting question if they're going to try to sign him before this year or if they might package him with something and trying to try to move him for uh, some younger talented and also cheaper parts um, is going to be an interesting decision, but uh, you know, they will, they, they do have some room and, you know, they go into the season with $25 million, I think worth of cap room uh, to start with. And do you so think shopping buddy healed and, and then maybe ultimately trading him? Is that a good move? A solid move by them? It depends on what you get. It depends on what you get. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, first off, I, I think if you're, um, you know, you you got to know as a team that wants him, um, you know, what what he needs, uh, basically. I mean, I, I think you, you want to make sure that you have a pretty, you know, you can't have a dysfunctional 
organization, locker room, whatever. Like you, you got to have something that, that heals that Buddy fits into. You got to have a style that Buddy fits into. And if you're Buddy, uh, Indiana's a nice place for you. You know, I mean, like yeah. you would rather not move because I mean, I, I think he and Tyrese are really gonna co- are really close. Tyrese just told us they're gonna go on. He's going on vacation with to the Bahamas with Buddy this summer. So to to Buddy's homeland. So you know that that should be pretty pretty cool. Those guys are really close. It's it's I think really good to have a setup where you have a really good shooter uh, that has a great relationship with a really good point guard. Um, so that's not someone to break up lightly. Um, you know, I, I just kind of say it to say, hey, he does. He is costing you 19 million this year. He's not cheap, uh, and he won't be cheap going forward. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's not going to be a, a, a huge deal. I don't know that you're going much above 20. That you have to go much above 20 million dollars. But if you don't want to keep paying him 20 million dollars, it might make sense to move him for another asset. Uh, you know, depending on what's out there. But you know, again, I, I think there is there's still value in him. Uh, even if they keep him for a walk year, you know, I, I don't think that's a horrible decision. It's not like a, a franchise backbreaker if you do that or anything like that. It's not ridiculously stupid, um, you know, because he is going to give you value. I mean, shoot, he just broke the uh, franchise record for threes. And, and in this day and age, it absolutely matters to have a guy that can shoot. And that will open things up for Tyrese, you know, for Ben Matherin, for Miles Turner. Uh, it makes sense for him to be out there to spread the floor. If you let go of him, you do have to get another shooter. You have to get a really good one. Um, so, you know, you have to be able to fill back in at least partially for what he does for you. Um, but What, you know, what we'll would, it, what would he, help out his value? Dustin, what would help out his his value? And we were talking about defense a little bit earlier. And mm-hmm. among the core guys, and I'd call him core right now until something mm-hmm. is done, he would be the one that would stand out that would struggle at upping his defensive prowess any more than it is right now. But as yeah. you mentioned, his three-point shooting is such an incredible asset yeah, I think he was their leading three-point shooter percentage-wise on the season. You talk about what he did on the season and breaking that record. I, it seems like that his value on the floor with this team kind of outweighs you know, what you're worried about and having to pay him, at least me sitting here right now, even though that I don't know how much better you're ever going to find him becoming defensively. I think his ceiling's yeah. been hit. Yeah, no, pretty much. He's not going to be a whole lot better defender. You're going to, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll give you some token defense. I mean, he, he's not totally useless, but no, he's not going to get a lot better at this point. Um, and yeah, I don't know that, that you're going to get a whole lot more out of him than what you're getting. And it is valuable, like you said. I, I think it's, it's just a question of is there an offer out on the table that's better? Or, or, or are you still going to be willing to commit $20 million a year uh, to him going forward? If you are, then, then great. You are, you are, you're getting what you're getting. Um, I, I think if you're the Pacers, I, you do know that he's something solid. That like it's. I mean, obviously things didn't end well for him, for him in Sacramento. As long as you got Halliburton on the roster, you're going to get a productive Buddy Hield. You know, you're going to get the most out of him, and he's going to work hard. He's going to play as close to 82 as he possibly can. Apparently, like he pretty much had to get in the fight with Rick to not play when he had the flu. <laughs> like you know, I mean, he, he basically like Buddy more or less said like I, I I really really still wanted to play when I was sick, and a doctor had to come in and tell me I can't. Um, so you're going to get a guy who really wants to play, who set that standard. There's a lot of value for that. I I think the the value if you use them as a trade piece is there are other teams that need shooters. I mean, part of the reason that you, you looked at them as a value for the Lakers, the Lakers really needed somebody that LeBron could throw the ball to. Um, you know, and I think that's still there, and I think there are still teams uh, that could use something uh, that uh, that might be willing to to part with something else. But if you don't feel like you can get another shooter that really spaces the floor anywhere near as well as he does, then you don't want to give that up because he gives you opportunity to play as fast as you want to play. 
All right, guys under contract right now, of which he is is one, who's the most likely not to be in a Pacers uniform when they put it together coming up in October again? Daniel Tice. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's I a mean, good one, I guess. Yeah, maybe beyond Daniel Tice, that was, yeah. That was, that was the layup. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I, I get to make one. it a little bit more difficult. I don't want to go back to trying to figure out coin flip stuff for you. So, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no yeah. I appreciate that. I'll take that. I mean, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it's all, I mean, I don't think there's, there's nobody that they're, that they, again, the guys that are under under contract, there, there's nobody that they're rushing to part with. It's just a, like, imagine, it's, it's, it's a, okay, what do you package them together and what does that become? Um, you know, what's sitting out there? What's somebody willing to move? You know, I mean, like all of those veteran guys, I mean, like I, I think T.J. McConnell is super valuable to them right now. He's very, very helpful. He's a great locker room presence. There's nothing um, there, there's nothing about T.J. McConnell that they don't want. But if somebody for some reason wants T.J. McConnell and Buddy Heald is willing to give you a, a, a lot of stuff, for it, you know, are you totally opposed to that deal? You know, probably not. But I think, you know, I, I think the only guy, yeah, I mean, Tice is the only guy that's it's just they're going to find a way to move him along. I mean, I, I don't, you know, um, it, it does be based the fact that he did not play at all down the stretch, even when Smith was hurt, um, you know, tells you, I think, something. Um, you know, obviously, I think he was told after a few games, basically, I think they, they brought him out there to say, hey, he can still play, you know, like check him out. He's, you know, he had the surgery. He's still an effective basketball player. You know, he's worth it for somebody, but it just doesn't fit for us because you got five, you know, these two young guys that are really talented, Jalen Smith and, and Isaiah Jackson. So, you know, like he, he's got to move on. But other than that, I don't think there's – there is no – Duarte maybe? I don't think so. I think they, they – again, unless somebody wants him, yeah. but I don't know who would want him right now i mean i think if you're if you're the pacers you're looking at and you're saying that guy's better than what i just saw and i don't you're going to get 25 cents on the dollar for him if you tried to move him uh you're not going to get anything nearly as promising unless someone out there really really believes in him and believes him enough to give give you you know a a godfather offer it gives you something that you cannot refuse um then you know i I don't see why they would but i I, they, they still have hope in him uh, you know, I, I think Rick Carlisle was very adamant in saying so in, in his words today, saying, you know, that, that guy was a really good shooter last year and he was a really good defender and he's got a lot of talent. He was just never healthy uh, all year with the ankle. He just never really found a rhythm, even even when he was feeling better. Um, I, I think he's, they still view, view a lot of talent there and I don't think they're willing to move him until he shows what he's capable of being again and, 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 and makes himself valuable in the trade market. But it's, I, I don't, if, if you're another team looking at him, you don't feel feel good enough about him uh, to, you know, send anything to Pacers away. So you still have a, a little bit more time with him under contract um, before you have to make a decision. So I, I think he'll be, I think he'll be around a while unless there is, again, unless you could package him with something that brings you something else. Right. Um, I'd be surprised. I mean, they, you know, I, I, I just don't think they get nearly enough value for him. They, they think they'll get more value out of waiting for him to, you know, rehab, get healthy and, you know, come back and be himself next season. You know, I think that I think they, they see more value there than they would in whatever they could they could get for him trade wise. Dustin, well done out of you, man. I appreciate you. We will uh, we'll do that again. Figure out a little bit more. They got a lot of working parts here, but we'll yes, they do. See how they decide to uh, work them in. Because I, I think, listen, the Colts off season here on this draft at the end of this month is important to you know set the standard for the uh, foreseeable future. But I, I think this Pacer off season is not to that level, but certainly not mm-hmm. too far behind in terms of level of importance around here. So just, yeah, no, absolutely. It's it is a case of it's. It's putting some of the not the last pieces together, right. but I mean there there is a there's a foundation.
foundation set where the, the Colts need to set a foundation. Uh, the Pacers have a foundation set. They have a culture yep. set. They have a direction. It's just getting the other pieces. They're, they're, what is there is not good enough to, to make a team that can win around in the playoffs or get someplace, but it's not too far off. Um, you know, they're, they need more pieces, but they don't need a ton of pieces. They don't need a, re, you know, a complete reset. They've got a lot of what they need, but they still need more. No, no doubt about that. Dustin, thank you very much. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from The Athletic. Friend, columnist, Kravitz, Bob Kravitz, joining us now. Hello, Bob. How are you, my friend? Bob, I am okay. Where are we in terms of your thought on where you believe or compared to where you think the Colts should go at number four? So we start to close in on the end of the month draft. Oh, geez, I still think they should go get Lamar. I mean, I really do. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not. Uh, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving the side on this. But uh, having you know heard what Ursay said about guaranteed contracts and everything else, uh, I fully believe they're going to end up with uh, Will Levis, who is, uh, I think, has a chance to be pretty good, but. You know, he has some of the same questions that we had about uh, Josh Allen. So, I mean, he's really the best comp for him is Josh Allen. But is he going to be good Josh Allen or is he going to be a bad version of Josh Allen? So Bob Kravitz of The Athletic is with us, too. I've been bringing this up because it seems like, and you would know, I'm sure, uh, with who you talk to even more than I do, but... Does it seem to you like that they're putting a premium? And oftentimes we use this just as a conversational piece because all we care about is being able to throw, being able to complete passes, put up numbers, and score a lot of points and all that at the quarterback position. But it seems to me, and I'm curious if it does to you, if they this time with their vetting that's going on right now care a great deal, and I mean really care a great deal, about leadership qualities of the QB they're drafting? Oh, I don't think there's any question. I, mean, I, I think you got to do that you know, regardless of your circumstances as a team. But, you know, they're looking for the next guy to be the face of the franchise for the next 10-plus years. And, you know, I, I think all these guys have got it in different ways. I think Young is a, a kind of a quiet leader. Um, I think uh, Richardson's got his own way of doing things. Levis, Levis is, a, is borderline cocky, but that's the thing you come to love if he's good. You know, if a guy is good, you don't mind if he's cocky. If he sucks, then you, I don't want to hear cocky. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, any one of these guys 
probably fits the bill as a leader of uh, of an organization. Yeah, it just kind of seems like that that really is something that they they care about here. How would you be if they took the wild card in this and Anthony Richardson knowing that they're going to have to wait for maybe even more so of an extended period of time to see him work? Yeah, I mean, if I had my druthers, I'd like to find somebody who uh, will be ready on day one or will be ready at some point in in year one. Uh, I'm not crazy about, uh, you know, the bridge quarterback to, to the next guy. But if that's what they have to do, that's what they have to do. I mean, they made the choice not to move up. They didn't think that it was worth it. Uh, the, the long the long term will tell us whether they were right or whether they were wrong yet again on their evaluation of quarterbacks. But uh, I would prefer of the four guys that Anthony Richardson would be my least favorite of that group. I mean, I think Stroud and Young are really one and one A, and then um, and then Will Levis. But I, I've seen some mock drafts. Well, Levis is, isn't taken until fifteen twenty. So, who the who the hell knows? I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you I've seen a ton of tape on Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. I've saw, I've seen both guys play probably twice this past year. Uh, one game was uh, Florida against Vanderbilt, and I thought. Richardson looked like the worst quarterback I'd ever seen. So you, you can't go by that. Well, that's how I went on C.J. Stroud. I, I I said this is the guy because of how he played against Georgia. And then everybody else says, well, how did he play against Michigan? Or look what he has you know, to work with compared to everybody else. And I just didn't care because, you know, Georgia, two-time now defending national champion, still with a good defense, not as good as it was a year ago, but the way that he played against them, I thought he looks like NFL caliber, long-time type of talent. I went off of one game, too. Well, the thing is that he did things, you know, I'm talking to the Ohio State people, he did things in that game that he didn't do all year. I mean, he just—he he didn't want to run. You know, he did not want to run. Uh, I, I don't know why. I don't know if he's trying to prove something. Uh, I really don't. I mean, I don't know the young man well enough to say. But, uh, you know, you saw things in that game you didn't see all season. So will you see it in week one against Jacksonville or whoever the hell they play? I don't know. I, I all these guys have an issue. You know, Richardson, lack of experience. Levis had a terrible se- senior season. Uh, Young is too small. Stroud looked great against Georgia, but hasn't done it consistently. So, I mean, there's there's just no Andrew Lux in this group. No, there's not. It's Bob- there's Lamar Jackson in this group, though. Well, I, I listen. When you go on and get Odell Beckham Jr., then you have to believe that you're going to have somebody to be able to lean on, and that's just not your average somebody. So I just thought that move. You know, beyond that, and I think – I don't know if you and I have talked. Uh, we got the Ravens move on Odell Beckham Jr. here within the last 24 hours. I don't know if you and I have talked since Jim Irsay talked out in Arizona, but that seemed to me like a dude that wasn't going to have any thought about Lamar Jackson at, at all. So I, I thought if there was going to be a little bit to go on, it was going to be able to go on him. But I had nothing to go on, so I just I kept it light, just kind of dismissed it. 
Yeah, no, he, he made it very clear that when he goes to ownership uh, dinners and cocktail parties that he doesn't want to get the side eye like uh, Jim Haslam does right. uh, with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, these guys do not want to pay big-dollar uh, contracts that are guaranteed for long periods of time. It's a collusion. Call what you want. I just know it's a bunch of guys who just don't want to make that kind of commitment to, to anybody. Now, to me, if you're going to pay guaranteed money and the Pandora's box has been opened by Deshaun Watson, uh, then if that's the state of play, then that's the way you need to operate. I mean, to me, to get you know, uh, a former MVP quarterback who's going to make you uh, you know, give you a chance to challenge in the AFC South the minute he walks on the field. That sounds like a really good idea to me, but at the same time, it's not my money. So Bob Kravitz with us. You know, it's funny. You look back to last year, and just beyond, it would have not been another year where Lamar Jackson didn't finish out the season healthy at quarterback. But if you go back a year, would you agree with me that Jim Mercer would have been all over that? He would have been all over it uh, because he basically went out and said, all right, anybody but this Wentz guy that we have right now, go get somebody, go find somebody. And I still to this day believe that's the reason why both Reich and Ballard got, I I guess, fell, I don't want to say in love, that's the wrong term to use, but saw 90 minutes of Matt Ryan tape and decided he was good to go when we watched 90 minutes of Ryan live and knew that he wasn't going to be good to go at the start of the season. So I think if you go back a year earlier, before Jim Irsay starts, you know, trying to be in front of the NFL ownership class, uh, as far as a talker is concerned, I think the whole dynamic, Bob's changed. I don't know, but I mean, back then Lamar wanted to guarantee money, right? I just, I think that that's the line in the sand is, is the guarantee money. I mean, these guys just do not want to make that uh, a regular deal. When the fact is that Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and all these guys, now that the the toothpaste is out of the tube, they're going to want guaranteed cash, just like. Sean, so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it would have been different last year. I mean, they're talking all chips in, and clearly their chips stunk. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought Matt Ryan to them at the time felt like all chips in. No. I didn't. I mean, maybe to them. No, it, that's what I'm know. saying to them. They nine, 90 minutes of tape watching that, and then you're decided oh, this know. is the guy that's going to win a division for you? Yeah, well, and that's what scares me is that those were the, the, their evaluations of an NFL quarterback playing at the highest level. Now we're asking them to evaluate quarterbacks like like Anthony Richardson, who has played 13 whole college games. That scares me to death, you know? I mean, yeah, I... How do we know they know what they're talking about when it comes to it? Now, Steichen clearly, clearly does. He's done a very nice job, and I hope he has a very strong voice in the room. But, you know, they, they struck out with Carson. They struck out with with Matt Ryan. What makes you think they're not going to strike out with, with this guy in the draft? So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, not, to be, not to be negative, but 
by God, I'm going to be. Well, I mean, in terms of looking at it like the Pacers, we felt kind of the same way regarding them, and then they started to make some moves after that trade and then drafted Mather, and I think everybody is has more of a feel-good about them. Hey, Bob, before I let you go, I did want to ask a Pacers question. You like where they yeah. are right now, and how big of an offseason is this going to be, Bob, for them, in your opinion? Well, it's going to be huge because they got, what, three picks in the first round, yep. right? Three picks. Um you know, they're, they really hurt themselves by beating the Knicks the other day, by the way. Uh, they could have moved up to six. Instead, they're going to pick, not pick, but they're going to be seventh or eighth in terms of the number of ping pong balls. Um, you know, they're going to have $25 million in cap space, so they should be able to get, you know, they're never going to get a superstar, but they're going to get a player. Uh, they've got to get themselves a four-man. You know, I thought more of, look good at the end of the season, uh, but I don't know if the easier guy moving forward is the regular regular four. Um, you know, so they, they've got a lot of, uh, as, as Kevin Pritchard likes to use the word, optionality. They have a lot of optionality, and I'll tell you what, for a 35 and 47 team, that was as much fun as I've ever had watching 35 and 47 teams. They were, you know, they played with pace, uh, they were near the top of the league in three-pointers. Uh, they, were, they were at the top of the league in uh, fast-break points. Um, you know, and so, I mean, they, they did a lot of things this year that I didn't think they could do, including winning about 10 games more than I thought they would. So I think they're very much on the right track. It would not surprise me if next year they make the playoffs. Uh, in terms, too, this is kind of what the Colts need to do. Just give fans around here a reason to believe, moments to be excited. And we all know how this is going to work out this season, but you got to give them those moments of, all right, this thing is coming around. Some moments of believability because, Bob, that's exactly what the Pacers did this year. Well, they did. They went out to, went out to Los Angeles and won. They uh, went out to uh, uh, Golden State and won. I mean, they they were twenty three and eighteen before Halliburton got hurt, and then I think they were twelve and twenty nine the second half of the year. So that was the end of that. But you know, if, if they hadn't done a soft tank at the end of the season, they may have had a chance to sneak into a into a playing game. Now. Did they want to be in the play-in game? No. Did I want them to be in the play-in game? Hell no. But I think they could have made they could have made a run at it, but they decided to look at their younger players in different roles, like Nemhart yeah. starting at the point, Matherin starting in the starting role at the two. So I think they handled this season about as well as you could possibly imagine. I mean, Miles, your guy, had a hell of a season. Matherin looks like the real deal. Obviously, Halliburton, uh, you know, I think they got a nice backcourt for a long time. So, I have, even even at 35-47, I feel really good about the Indiana Pacers. So, Bob Kravitz of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Enjoy the rest of this day, Bob. Thank you. Will do. Thanks, man. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, 
Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline out of the lounge via YouTube Live. And the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline is where we're going with the morning show co-hosts, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. He is Jake Query. Hello, Jake. I am thoroughly enjoying the Brady Bunch bounce back music, by the way. Or bounce back, a re-entry. Fabulous. You know, of um, young actors that went through puberty while on TV in front of millions... Uh, I thought Peter Brady's might have been one of the better ones, even though his voice changed, you know? He almost got voted out of the band, but his voice changed, and then they just kind of implemented it. Greg was such a musician and a talent, he implemented that into a song. I mean, here it was. We thought Greg was strictly picked because he fit the suit of Johnny Bravo, but later we find out his songwriting skills are second to none, right? Not to mention his ability because – courtesy of one of the totally obscure cable channels just the other day – Shannon and I, as any long-together couple enjoys from time to time, sat on the couch and watched the King's Island episode of Brady Bunch, which Greg tries to pick up Marge in the big red bear suit. Greg had mad game, man. He did, You name it, Greg could get it back. (laughs) He did, man. (laughs) And, And little did he know, as Barry Williams was dressing in the bear costume to try to pick up Marge in 1972, Actually, 73, I think it was, uh, that was filmed in August of 73. Little did he know that some 50 years later he'd be doing a cameo courtesy of a former Big Ten Most Valuable Player to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you very much to Brian Evans for doing that. That is one of the more memorable things I have ever had done for me right there. That was pretty damn special. The cool part about it is, I mean, Brian Evans is probably, at this point, more well-known than Barry Williams. <laughs> so, like, I'm not sure which one of those is cooler, right? I'm going to tell you, though, if um, Barry Williams from, what do you say, 19, 1970 to 1975, those would be a solid. I'll give him 75, even though the show was over in 74. I think they had the variety show after that for a bit, too, in the late 70s. But he had five years that were probably pretty unmatched by all of us average folks out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Florence Henderson had the hot for him, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, Maureen McCormick. Like, was probably pretty good for him. He was, yeah, he was, he was probably staying active. Good for him. That's right. Staying active is a good way to say it. Yeah. Staying very, very active. Um, all right, what did you think about the end of the Pacers season and about where we're going right now? You know, I think it's really interesting because, obviously, from a record standpoint, it was subpar, to say the least. It was probably, in terms of competitiveness, not unlike, you know, if there was an analogy, I guess, slightly better than, but not much better than what the Colts did on the NFL side of things. But the difference being, I think people are optimistic about it because uh, I, I give them credit. They were upfront from the beginning, John, about the fact of like, look, you know, this is 
it's going to be a long year. And I think they exceeded expectation early. And then, you know, obviously they hit kind of a skid there. I think it was in February. But to me, and this is a good problem to have, when you combine the fact of the draft picks they have incoming with the players that are young, that they got good quality minutes from this year, I have always said the real challenge becomes determining whether a guy put up good numbers because he's a really good young player or because he's on a team where someone had to put up numbers. And, you know, some of these numbers, Jordan Wara, you know, they've got to figure out which of those two he is. I think we've seen enough body of work and consistency over the year to know that Andrew Nimhard is a good player. I think the same of Aaron Neesmith. Obviously, we know with Halliburton and Mather and where they are. Um, Jackson, Jalen Smith, those are decisions they're going to have to make about what they do you know, moving forward, which they go with, where they go with it. O'Shea Brissett's a free agent. That's, you know, I think I like O'Shea Brissett. I do. But in a numbers game, he's probably going to get pinched. But I think there's optimism is what I'm saying to you. I, I think that there is at least the sign of a vision of young pieces to build around. And I think young pieces that are likable and have a lot of promise. So are they a year away? They're not. But in two to three years, I don't see any reason why they can't have the kind of, you know, renaissance or resurgence like we've seen Phoenix do a few years ago or like we've seen Denver do, et cetera. I think this is a big off season for them, too, considering what they have at stake in the first round. Because everybody sits around all the time and talks about trade assets and leverage and what was it yesterday? Um, draft equity, I think, is what I heard, and I wanted to puke. We talk about that so much, so at the very least, hopefully they're able to do something with it because I have to hear about it so much and it makes me nauseous. So hopefully so. Draft equity. The Pacers believe, John, I don't want to speak for them, but I have a pretty good hunch on this. I think the Pacers believe that this draft has three to four probably soon impact players on it or in it. And then if you're between five and 14, there's some flexibility there because they're fairly interchangeable in terms of the level of contribution you're going to get from who you get in those areas. So I think that, you know, when you really look at it, like I said, three or four, if they're in the top three or four, I think they know they're in a really good spot. If they find themselves seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there, you know, is it possible that they flip that? It's possible because I think they feel like they can get the same player, maybe not the same player in the late first with the second pick that they have, but that they can get some pretty good players. You know, if they slide back to 15, 16 and pick up an asset of it, they might be able to get the same thing they would get at eight, nine, or ten. I think they'll. I think they'll explore it. Not saying they'll do it, but I think they'll explore it. Do you think that front office wise, they were as upset as some of the uh, draft equity crap talking nerds were on Twitter yesterday after the Pacers beat the Knicks? <laughs> Is anybody as upset as the? Can you use that term? The again? draft equity. What did I say again? No, I don't, I don't even remember. Oh, the draft equity Twitter nerds? Is that what I said? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think they were. I think they were realistic going into it. I mean, yeah, a 9% chance to get into the top three. Sure. I mean, it probably was some, oh, man, that would have been nice, but I don't think anybody was going to get fired over. Let's put it that way. But, you know, look, it is tantalizing to think about what, for any franchise, what happens if you get Victor Webb-Miyama? Because he is a a unicorn. I mean, we've never seen anybody like this guy. And who knows? He may end up being the next Thon Maker. 
but he also might be the next Kevin Durant or Giannis, and you know that's what that's what I think a lot of people are hoping for. When's the last time the Pacers had good fortune like that? I mean, you're, you, you can say, well, I mean, they got they drafted Matherin, but you know that was their idea. You can say, well, they traded they traded for Halliburton, but that was you know their idea. You when's know, the honestly, last time? When's the last time they had good fortune? You know, when they when they were sitting, and I can't remember exactly what number it was in the draft. And this guy's a guy that I think is grossly overlooked by people, and he was a really good player. And I think actually the departure of this player had a bigger impact within the locker room than people think on the negative side. When they drafted Danny Granger, they had pretty good fortune because I don't think anybody really expected or knew just how good he was going to be. And he was a darn good player. Um, They had some swings and misses on either side of that for certain, but that would be one of them that I look at as a pretty good fortune in terms of the way, you you know, what they got out of him and and in particular where they got him. I mean, you think about the Colts over the years, and certainly there are moments where they've had really good fortune uh, in terms of losing and try to get back, but it just doesn't seem like. It seems like with the Pacers that you have to create your good fortune because it's not like anybody's going to wave a magic wand and all of a sudden, hey, you know, there's your 7% to get this unicorn from France. There you go. So, And and the other thing that I brought up from yesterday – I want to see one of these nerds be talking to Benedict Mather and say, hey, you know what? Don't be scoring that much. Don't play well because we're concerned about an extra half percentage here, okay? Uh, he would not care one stinking ounce. Not one ounce. And those guys didn't. And I, I have a great deal of admiration for those guys because you could see what the Pacers were trying to do, and they were trying to do it, trying really hard not to get investigated like the Mavericks are getting investigated for what they're doing. They were trying really hard to do it. All right, but those guys went out and played hard, hit 19 threes. I don't know how you're supposed to sidestep winning that game yesterday unless you get Isaiah Jackson out there shooting left-handed from three. Yeah, I mean, look, you put two rookies out there that combined for 45 points. Uh, you know they're rookies, right? I mean, you don't. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Tell them no. I get it. Now these these nerds you're talking about are they trilams? <laughs> are they are they still no. on charge of the Greek Council? No, they're just fine? dorks that are after me all the time about me me taking a lot of value in in seeing a young growing team win games instead of getting that extra you know two percent to hopefully I don't know get. Wembayama or whatever. So, yeah, I, I dismiss it. In one of these days, they may be able to get me back. Three years down the road, when somebody turns into something and the Pacers got something else, they may be able to get me back. But again, I don't know what you could have done yesterday, Jake. I do not want what you, because they just, they hit shots. And well, like, and even the, the officials game swallowed game. their whistle at the end. The officials will say, oh, yeah, you guys do whatever the hell you want for the final five minutes because we're just going to stand around here for a while. Yeah. And I mean, Look, the whole league was was resting yesterday. I, I mean, it, hell, you didn't even know going into the game. Probably they they probably were unsure of who was even going to be lining up for New York, right? I mean, it's. I bet they wish so Rudy Gobert would have rested yesterday. He should have rested. Boy, how about that? How about look, it, it, Mason Plumley also didn't he, he he threw a punch or there was something thrown in the in the Clippers game? I mean, but if you're gonna if you're gonna get sideways with a teammate and try to take refuge from the opposite side of the huddle. Like, you probably don't want to pick the one guy that's got like a seven and a half foot reach on you, right? 
I mean, Rudy Gobert, man, that was that dude. That was no joke. And, and you know, it's it's funny. So, like in the last three years, the two biggest like you know video clips of Rudy Gobert reaching out and hitting something not were block shots. One was two microphones after a press conference about COVID, and the other was you remember that when when Gobert touched the microphones and everybody's like, oh my gosh, oh yeah, he's gonna he's nah. gonna get everybody sick. But you know, and then obviously the the reach yesterday, but. Well, and then, and then well, I mean, it, and it was about it was about timing too. You know, it was about the timing when all that COVID stuff came out, and and you know, when the moment he did that, everything ended, and then he you got know. he got a brunt of the. I mean, he's a clown. Don't get me wrong, but he he got he took a lot of that heat, and then it was about timing yesterday because this dude's not even able to go and try to play this play-in game. He gets suspended because of being a clown. And then consider what Minnesota gave up to get him from Utah. That is outstandingly hilarious. <laughs> You're not kidding about that, man. And kudos to Utah because Utah is kind of like Indiana, right? I mean, Utah, when Utah decided that it was time to, to strip down and rebuild, they stripped down and rebuilt. And, and, and you know, they, key pieces were sent, and they got some pieces back. But they're going to have a lot to – you know, but Utah and Indiana schematically in terms of organization build are very similar because yeah. they've got to obviously go with, you know, you got to go with being crafty and being smart and, and building through mostly the draft. Or get very lucky, like right. San Antonio was. Yep. Yeah. yeah, San Antonio's a good example, too, for sure. You're very lucky. And that's why, I mean, you got to make, uh, we've realized this, have we not, with the Pacers? You, you just got to make your own luck. And that's one of the real reasons why I'm so excited for next year to get here. Because I think what they have in Halliburton and what we saw with, with Miles up in his game, think about what we thought about him. Well, I know what I thought about him, but what most thought about him at the beginning of the season compared to how they view him right now, or maybe even more so what he feels a lot about being here at the beginning of the season compared to what he feels about right now. And so much of that is built around Halliburton. I think that they have a piece where guys would look here and go, wow, they play incredibly up-tempo. As McConnell said earlier today, play very fast. you got to get your track shoes on. It's a very desirable brand of basketball. And I think more so now than ever, Jake, you kind of look at look at Indy with the Pacers and players, and you know maybe now players would be more interested in coming here and being a part of this. And that's what makes me probably more excited about this group than anything else moving forward. You know, I remember John when the Colts in the late '90s put a bunch of money into their weight room, and they got Chad Bratsky as a free agent, and I think they might have traded for Chad Coda. I can't remember if they traded for or signed him as a free agent. But the thought process was that the Colts They weren't working. They just stopped working out at Zoops at that time. Is that when they do that? Yeah, they were They were lifting Tonka truck tractors out <laughs> in Zoops' front yard. And then Ray Compton slipped up and accidentally uh, dropped one of the juggling knives on one of them, so they quit doing that. <laughs> and so they decided that – and I get it. But the thought process was that the new facilities the Colts had in terms of their workout facilities was going to be what drew players here. And then what really drew players here, you found out, was once you got a guy like Peyton Manning, people wanted to come here and play. And the Pacers built the St. Vincent facility across Delaware Street from the Fieldhouse. And I've been through it. It's an absolutely yeah. state-of-the-art facility with training. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think the thought process was that would help narrow the gap on the other franchises to get free agents to come here. 
But the reality is you've got to have your Peyton Manning. You've got to have a player that people want to come play with. And I think Kevin Pritchard was very bullish at the beginning of the season that he felt like Halliburton had a style of play that was not only going to benefit Miles Turner, and that's the reason why they didn't trade Miles Turner at the beginning of the year because they wanted to see how he was going to play with Halliburton. And obviously the answer is, is well. And so I think they're hopeful that Halliburton is, in fact, the glue piece that other players are going to see the style of play and say, you know what, let's go see what we can get done in Indiana. And I think they're banking on that. And it may work out for them. But if not, they got plenty of young pieces from last year's draft and then, you know, with obviously multiple picks in this year's draft, should they, should they so choose to hold on to them to build around? So, Jake Quay, the morning show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Did you go to the Jordan return game? Back, what I was it, 95? Yeah, I was in Bloomington. I was at IU. Um, I remember watching it on TV. I went to, it's funny, at that time Ed Sorensen had told me, he's like, buddy, you know, you just <laughs> let me know what game you want to come to. And I told him I wanted to see the Bulls, and he's like, hey, of course you picked the Bulls game. And I, he had given me tickets to either the, the, the game before or the game, I can't remember if that was the last time that, that they played that year against one another. Uh, but I was not at the return game. I was at either the one right immediately following or immediately. I think it was immediately before that Jordan wasn't on the Bulls roster yet, and I went and saw him play. And then, of course, the return game happens. Man, that was something right there. Remember he had the shorts on backwards. Yeah, had his shorts on backwards, wearing number 45. Yeah. I, I did always take pride in the fact that, obviously after that, that in 98, the 98 Bulls that – or no, no, I'm sorry, the 96. The 96 Bulls that won 72 games. That 96 team that won 72 games only lost to one team twice. And there was only one team that was not sub-500 against the Bulls, and it was the Pacers. Yeah. And as a Pacer fan back in the day, I always took pride in that. That and 50 cents will get you a copy of the newspaper back then, <laughs> but let's hang a banner for it because we were excited about it. I always think about this time of year in terms of going back to the 90s and when the Pacers started making the postseason, uh, when they really started magic. to be good around here. You'd have this type of weather outside and then a Pacer playoff game to boot. It, it was tough to really beat that special of a time when, when that was taking place with this Pacer Undoubtedly. team. And do you remember when, you know, in 94 when they broke through and Byron Scott hit the shot to, to, to win in Orlando, yeah. and they come back here and they beat Atlanta in six, either five or six, and then they go and they take on the Knicks. And do you remember, John, this is such a fascinating thing that I think is almost forgotten about in the lore of Indianapolis. But, like, everybody was compelled to make homemade signs and put them in office windows downtown. And literally, like, the Chase Building, which back then was the Bank One Tower, and Mar- and the Gold Building at Market Square, and the the Nas- Indiana National Building, which is now the Regents Bank Building, like there were all these poster board signs with like "Boom Baby," "Go Pacers," yeah. "Go Reggie," like all over downtown. And then they they lose to the Knicks in '94, and they still had a rally for them at Mark at City Market. I mean, it was a that team absolutely captivated this town and and it held on all the way through to when they you know ultimately went and played Orlando the next year in the finals and you know and then it was just on from there all the way through really the 98 team and then the one that went to the finals in 2000 it was, it was a great time it was a magical time two of the coolest things about Market Square Arena to me uh, one of which could never ever be done today 
one was the crosswalk from City Market to MSA. I always thought that that was awesome. That went over what Alabama, I believe, right? That's what it went over right. Alabama. And then being able to drive on Market Street beneath Market Square Arena, which would never, ever, ever happen today. Um, yeah, unbelievable. That right? was all. Those two things were the coolest things about MSA. Going back, you know, then. I loved MSA. Loved it dearly. And, you know, I graduated from high school in that building. You know, you and I have talked about it yeah. a million times. But we grew up in that building. Donnie Walsh told me a really good story about when he knew that, that Market Square was going to have to be replaced and because of luxury suites. And they were losing out on revenue to other franchises because they didn't have suites at Market Square. And he went to Goldsmith and told him that he thought they needed a new arena with, with luxury suites. And Goldsmith said, well, Donnie, the public financing is not going to be what you think it is for that kind of a sentiment. So you're going to have to get an awful lot of private donations, corporate donations. So Donnie came up with this brilliant plan. I think it was Cleveland. And he, he got a list. Of course, he knew most of them. But he he came up with the names of some of the top business people in Indianapolis and said, hey, how would you guys like to go with me on a Pacers road trip? So I think it was Cleveland where they went. And he called up the Cavs and he said, listen, I need you guys to give me the best suite you have with the best food and everything else. So these business guys all come and they, they get on the plane and they take the Simon plane out to, I think it was Cleveland and they watch a Pacers Cavs game and they enjoy the sweets and they're talking about how great it is. And the food's wonderful and the drinks and everything else. And they get on the plane, they fly back to Indianapolis and they said, man, that was just such a great time. Da, 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 da. And Donnie said, man, I'll tell you guys what, we would love to have you come out and enjoy some Pacer games on me and do the exact same thing here. Only problem is we don't have any sweets. We're trying to come up with an arena that, that would have some where people can enjoy what you guys did, but unfortunately we need some corporate backing. And like three months later, he was able to go to Goldsmith and go, I think we got the corporate backing necessary from the businesses in town. Yeah. Because those, and that, and then boom, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the blueprints were there. It was Contigo Fieldhouse at the time, and they were off and running. And Gamebridge is a great building. Yeah, but, it is. This, but Market Square was totally unique, and it didn't have the amenities of Gamebridge, but it certainly had the character. It had the uh, Market Square Gardens restaurant. I was never in that. <laughs> I also <laughs> never went. As far as I knew, it was nothing more than a neon sign. I know. <laughs> it looked like the worst seats in the house, too. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Their idea of the suites back then were you could get four seats on the floor that had like a little brass railing around them yeah. and a blue curtain. Oh, man. Telling you, though, this time of year with the Pacers, and I mean a, a, a challenging position in the postseason, there was no greater time of year because you'd have weather just like this. They'd be playing a home game. Everybody's out and about downtown. It was – those times are glorious, and, and I'm hoping they get back to those times because there are some people around here that either, A, haven't been through them in a while, maybe haven't been through them at all. So they don't know what they're missing. I'm sitting right here, and I have, holding in my hand, a Pacer patio menu because it was signed by, in 1987, I think it was the Washington Bullets were here, and I got like, you know, I was, and I got like probably 10, Pearl Washington signed this, Dallas Comma G's, it's like a, you know, Dennis Hobson looks like, so it might have been the Nets, but at any rate, here's the menu, this is what you could have gotten for the Pacer patio at a Pacer game in 1987. This was the entire food menu for not this, not the concession stand, but like the little suite area. 
Hot sandwiches included a jumbo hot dog for two dollars, roast beef with cheese for three fifty. You could get a little Charlie Deluxe pizza for two seventy five, peanuts and nachos for a dollar twenty five each, Coca Cola, Sprite, Diet Coke, and coffee for a dollar or seventy five cents. Or if you'd like a two dollar ice cold Bud Miller Light or Pabst or a Moosehead for two twenty five. <laughs> Wait a minute. They sold Moosehead there? Apparently so, <laughs> for an extra quarter. Uh, if you really want to splurge, you go with a Moosehead. When is the last time you had a Moosehead? That's what Stroh's, by the way. <laughs> When's the last time you had a Moosehead? Man, my buddy Aaron Pickus back in college thought he was cool because he always brought in Moosehead. Actually, when I was uh, I was in Montreal with Mike Byron about four years ago, and we saddled up to some bar, and they had Moosehead on draft. And that was that's probably the only time I've had a Moosehead. Yeah, not bad. I I was th- like when I was in college, when I was at Indiana State, you know, we drank Bushlight Draft all the time because it was you know the cheapest, and it said draft. But we when we splurged, we either went Moosehead or Labatt's Blue. See, okay, for yeah. us, the splurge, this is funny. And you know what's funny is if you go to Canada, the big import draft beer in Canada that people love, which was considered like a fancy beer when I was in college, was Rolling Rock. Rolling Rock was considered like highbrow for, for us at, at IU. So, so did you guys drink Rolling Rock at IU? What's that? I always, I always noticed this, and maybe it was me, but it was always the douchiest dudes in the bar that drank Rolling Rock. Well, like I said, my buddies and I would drink Rolling Rock. (laughs) You you always found who was the douchiest because they'd be holding those green beer bottles. I also was in college during the ice craze. Ice house. Yeah, yeah. And then the red craze. Remember, everything was red. Red Red dog. dog, Red. red, All those. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, the ice craze. That's uh, Miller Light Ice, Bud Ice, Ice House. The dry craze. You remember Bud Dry? Oh, yeah. Dry. I mean, yeah, nothing, nothing would get you headache the next day hammered like Ice House. Nothing. Yeah, that was always – I remember we had one buddy that always claimed, dude, if I drink one one dry beer, it automatically, it automatically makes me faint. <laughs> really? Yeah, it has to do with the way it's filtered. Okay. Moosehead is fantastic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. A long time for hold a moosehead right had, Hold on. I'm looking at the menu here, John. They also had cocktails. Enjoy your favorite premium drink for $2.50. Canadian Club, Seagram's, Jack Daniels, Cuddy Sark, Seagram's Gym, Smirnoff, and Bacardi Rum. See, that's funny because then you didn't have all – You didn't. I mean, it was such a smaller list compared to today. Oh, that's the whole list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean that's and that's because it was about all that. You, I mean, the only thing missing from that's like dark eyes and Soco, right? I mean, I mean, literally, early, I mean, that's the entire it. Entire food menu: hot yeah. dog, chili dog, little Charlie Deluxe pizza, roast beef, popcorn, peanuts, and chips. That's it. Mm. Most expensive thing on the menu: three dollars and fifty cents. The roast be- roast beef with Swiss. Yeah, you couldn't get anything right now for three fifty, could you? No way. Glory days, man. Glory days. Good, good, good time. What you guys got coming up tomorrow? Of course, granted, you're paying three fifty to watch a team that went twenty six and fifty six and was led by Jose Slaughter. But you know, I digress. <laughs> What'd you say that was eighty seven again? Was Granville Wader still here? I think it was eighty seven, right? So actually, you know, they were starting to get good. I mean, that was the year. You know, they had a bad year, and so they were eleven, what eleventh in the draft. Yeah, draft, person, right? person was here, and then Miller came 
the next Correct. year. So they were just yeah. starting to, to hit a little groove, actually. So it would have been after Jose Slaughter, truth be told. But um, was Bill Garnett and Devin Bill Garnett and Devin that? Durant on that team? Bill Garnett, Brooks Steppy. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm looking right now. Ron Anderson, Greg Dryland, Vern, Stu Gray, John Long. It says that age. This is eighty seven, eighty eight. So you were looking for eighty. 86, 87. So I, I can tell you this. I have the – it's the visiting team that signed this. And I, I, I looked it up once. It's either the Washington Bullets or the New Jersey Nets. And I think it's got Dennis Hobson, so that would have to be 88 because he was the same year as Reggie. Uh, Dallas Comagees is definitely on here. Hmm. John Bagley. So it's got to be Marvin Bagley's dad, John Bagley. So it's got to be the Bullets, right? Um. Or the uh, Cavaliers, Bagley played in Cleveland. Okay. I think. Maybe it's the Cavs. It's definitely Dallas Comagees is definitely on here, though. Well He's done. probably the easier one to narrow it down to because he probably played for like two years. You know? That's good stuff right there. What do you guys got coming yeah, tomorrow I mean, morning? Why I keep the stuff. Uh, we're going to be back. We talked a lot of Masters today and a lot of Pacers. But I think tomorrow we're going to start zoning in a little bit more on not only the NFL draft from the Colts standpoint of the quarterback, which we've talked a lot about, but who are players outside of the quarterback position that Indianapolis might be able to, to wow. grab in the draft and what areas are of need for them? So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Yeah, I thought the Masters was very boring. I I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Totally agree with very that. Very boring. All right, my man. We'll be listening. I appreciate you. All right, always a pleasure, John. We'll see you. Hey, fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy it floors to your home. Right, Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just 80 cents a square foot. 80 cents a square foot? That's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations. Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floors to Your Home. That's who.